1, if you'll turn with me there. I'd like to start reading at the third verse. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto, uh, unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I've read until the 16th verse. Let's kneel for a word of prayer. Let's bow down and worship the Lord. <clears throat> Truly, thou art worthy of all honor and worship and glory. Lord, when we consider we are the works of thy hands, as well as this vast and beautiful and glorious universe that we have yet to even comprehend the breadth, the breadth, the depth, the complexity, the intricacy of its workings, and yet it speaks to thy power, the majesty, the glory, the wisdom. And Father, we, we who are in your image, can see in ourselves something beautiful, and yet also something depraved. And so, Father, we are so thankful for your Son who has come to give us hope for freedom from our own selves, from that which taints and corrupts, and that we can become more like you, pure and holy, 
And Father, we just thank you for this beautiful promise, this word that we look forward to learning from. We pray that you would speak to us through your servant. And Lord, we pray for those who, who are here, that they may be inspired and changed. Lord, that this would not be uh, something that would be impressive and a, t of a tickling of the ear, but Lord, something that would reach into our hearts and to change us from the inside out. Father, we pray for the, the alertness, the openness, the sensitivity that the rocks of unbelief and the thorns of, of, of cares and distractions would be removed and the hardness of, of, of our hearts could be broken up, that this word can have fruit, not only in those who are hearing, but those who, who are unable to be here, those who are dealing with sickness, with illness, with old age, with obstacles that are preventing them, those who are, are yet resisting and running from your truth, Lord, that your, your grace and your love would pursue them, and Lord, that they would finally turn and come to themselves and come home, even as the prodigal son did. Father, we are so thankful for your grace, but we know that one day that grace will be over, that the day of grace will be finished. And so, Father, we pray with urgency that those around us would come to your knowledge and would yield and bend the stiff neck while there is time because we have seen with the suddenness that life can end unexpected and Lord, the suddenness of even your return, which we see is coming soon. Father, we just pray for a sense, a heightened sense of, of urgency, of diligence, of awareness, of not only the schemes of the wicked one, but of your, your extended hand to rescue us, the ark door being open through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So at the funeral yesterday, as I mentioned already, of Brother Mike Ponaki. And I consider myself to be firmly in the middle age bracket now. I'm almost 45. But as you start doing the math, you go, well, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not quite, maybe I'm a little past middle age. Do I think I'm going to be live, live to be 90 years old? I don't know. Brother Mike didn't know that middle age for him would be 36. It's sobering when we think about these things. And that touched off another thought for me. How much in this life we simply don't know? Are you conscious of what you don't know? Do you even think about it in those terms? There's a lot we don't know. But in today's age of big data, instant internet searches and Wikipedia and all sorts of other forms of knowledge and information, we think we know a lot. We think we know a lot. And even if we don't know something, we can look it up. 
But one of the things I think we've lost in our modern information age is the fact that there's a lot, a lot, that we do not know and even cannot know. So on Wednesday, we had a Bible study. We've been working our way through the life of Christ and looking at the different things that he both taught and did. And one of the things that we were looking at on Wednesday was some parables that he spoke to his disciples and to those that heard him. And as Christ often did, he explained one of the parables. That was the parable of the wheat and the tares. He explained very simply what it meant. And the disciples didn't know what it meant. They asked him, Lord, declare this parable unto us. And so he took the time to explain it. And then he asked a question that really made me pause. He said, do you understand these things? And the disciples said, yea, Lord. And I found that interesting because some of those lesser parables that we discussed on Wednesday, the parable of the leaven, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the net of fishes, the meanings there are maybe not quite as clear to us, but they were plain to the disciples. And yet we consider ourselves so advanced and so uh, information savvy. Are we conscious of what we don't know? And I thought of this particular passage of Scripture, and there's a section in here that maybe you didn't notice before. We're going to get to it. But the things that, that Peter lays out for us here in this general epistle, and, you know, these, these epistles, I think, you know, some of the, the epistles that were written to the Corinthians or to the Philippians or to the Romans, when we read them, it's a bit like we're reading someone else's mail. You know, it was addressed to someone else. But these general epistles, I feel like this is written not just for the churches in general, but definitely for our day. And I'm not trying to say that the other passages of Scripture are not. But this, I can say that like, this is definitely, definitely written for me because of, of the way he, he, he wrote this to, to this large group of believers scattered over a wide area. He begins with this, this, this benediction, this blessing of the Lord who has begotten us again or brought us forth again to a lively hope or a living hope by the res resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. These are the things that we know. These are the things that we can be assured of. What he has done for us and what is prepared for us. And how good it is that there's no ambiguity around these points. He says, look, he had this abundant mercy toward you. He left heaven. He died in your place to make a way to heaven for you, and now he's reserved that place for you. It's yours. You have a, an assigned seat, a ticket, if you want to think of it that way. That's yours. No one can take that from you. Have you ever had that experience when you go on an airline and you get to your seat and there's someone else who found that seat a little bit more desirable than the one that they had been assigned to, and you say, well, uh, my ticket says this. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry, I, and then they move. I took a chance that the person who was assigned to that seat maybe wouldn't show, and they'll take a little bit better seat with a little bit more legroom, maybe. Not so. 
with the things of God. There's a place reserved for you. These are the things that we know. Here's something else that we know. Who are kept by the power of God. Stop and think about that. I don't need the so-called doctrine of eternal security to feel secure when I read a verse like this. My soul is being kept by the power of God. The only thing I have to remember is how small I am and how great he is. That's also something I know. And if I don't forget that, I have no worries about my destination. It's reserved. These are all things that we know. Kept through faith unto salvation. Salvation is sometimes something that we think about in the past tense. I was saved at this and this time. I was baptized on this day. Look, I have a picture that shows me there. These were the people that were there. But we are also to be saved. And that's something we can know and be assured of. All of these are blessings. They don't require any great intellect. You know, Christ himself taught that we need to become his little children. And that's one of the interesting things about children is what they know and what they don't know and how they react to it. If I say, if I give them a promise, and I try to be very careful when I make promises, but if I give them a promise, they don't question it. They say, well, he's promised he's going to do it. And if I don't remember, <laughs> they remind me. You made a promise. You're right, I made a promise. If there's some ambiguity or there's something there that may change, I, I usually say, we're going to try, but I'm not going to promise. But they just simply say, well, dad's made a promise about this. It's going to happen. And when they don't know something, it also doesn't seem to bother them too much. As we get older, I think we, we lose some of that innocence. We have been disappointed by others in the past. We have experienced broken promises. There are things that we didn't know that we have learned, and so we count that in our store of knowledge. But when it comes to the things of the Lord, I remember this as a young person. How do we know? How do I know? And over time, I've realized there are things that God has given me to know, and there's things that he's not given me to know. And not everything can be explained by me, and sometimes I do God more honor by simply admitting my smallness, my lack of understanding, and trusting him, as my children sometimes do. They don't know how we're going to get there or what's going to happen, but they simply say, well, okay, Dad promised us, so we're going we're to somehow end up there. They don't, they don't worry about the details in between. Since the Age of Enlightenment, perhaps, and uh, man has sought to understand everything, everything about his world around him. And in doing this, there's been many great benefits, many great achievements, but we've lost something, I think, in that process as well. We've lost the mystery and the majesty of, of God and the, the, 
the blessedness of not knowing and not having to know. God does things according to his timetable. You know, many people that struggle with the idea of God say, well, if you can explain this to me or if you can prove this to me, then I will believe. And if you were to push them on, on, on that line of reasoning, you'd, if you were to say something like, well, do you understand everything? Well, no, of course not. Will you be able to understand everything? No. Are there going to be some things that you will not be able to understand in this life? Well, yeah, probably. Well, what if God's in that category? What are you willing to miss out on or give up? Because you're clinging to your own ability to wrap your mind around something and understand it. What if God is not understandable in the fullest sense of the word, that there is always this element of mystery that belongs to him. What if that's for our benefit? What if that's what's good for us? Now, if I have to explain everything to my children completely every single time, there's no need for obedience. I'm reasoning with them to the point where they are agreeing with me and then acting really according to their own will. But obedience is not required. There are things that we will not know and maybe cannot know, and that actually might be to our benefit. How did it work in the past? I'd like to go uh, ahead a little section here. It's talking about this, this not knowing in the sense of the Christian, and then it even dips back into the Old Testament. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love. It's not only us that have not seen Christ. Only the first generation of disciples saw him. Even in the early church at this time, yes, Peter saw the Lord, but the people that he was writing to did not. How can you love someone you haven't seen? I think we're all very thankful for Thomas Edison and others that worked to invent electric lights. We've never seen him either. Or those that were the first to come up with the invention of indoor plumbing. I'm very thankful for whoever that was. Don't know who it is. Now, we know who Christ is. We know from his writing. And we know, more importantly, what he's done for us and how we've benefited. And so, it's not that hard to say, well, the, the one who did this for me even though I've never met him in the flesh, I've never seen him, I love him. I love him for what he did for me. I love him for what he sacrificed for me. I love him for the fact that one day he will, he will make all things right, that he will finally square everything up in this upside-down, out-of-order world. He's going to finally set it all right. The person that looks like he got away with something, he hasn't gotten away with anything. One day... The Lord of glory is going to set those things right. I believe that. 
receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. These things are in the future. We have not seen them, but yet we still know them and we, we hold on to them. Now he goes into the Old Testament. I found this very, very interesting. This is what I thought of when, after we had had our discussion on Wednesday night. Of which salvation the prophets, and this is the Old Testament prophets, have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. The prophets of the Old Testament were a varied lot. Everyone from great statesmen and kings to shepherds. The range was quite large. And the Holy Spirit of God, it says, which was in them. Now, I'm going to stop for a second and maybe divert a little bit here. You know, there's some that have made a big deal about the, the prepositions in, in, in the scriptures and say, well, the Spirit of, Christ, of, of God was on the Old Testament prophets but not in them, and then the, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit came in the New Testament, and though there is, there is truth to that, we have to be careful because Peter here, under the inspiration of the same Spirit that penned the Old Testament, says the Spirit of God that was in them. Which is why, of course, that even as Christians now, we can look back to the Old Testament and our heart rejoices when we read the things that are written there and we memorize Scripture and we're blessed by things like the Psalms. It's all part of a continuous whole. The same Spirit wrote the whole book cover to cover. You know, when you read a, a story, you don't consider the, the beginning of the story to be of... Uh, lesser importance because it's not complete. The beginning sets the stage for the ending and for the conclusion and perhaps the hero or heroine misunderstands things at the beginning and, there's, and those, those, those threads in the storyline are, are kind of woven in a way where finally it comes together and in the conclusion things are made plain. But the same Spirit of God who wrote the Old Testament has also written the New. But think now about those Old Testament prophets. We know that they didn't understand everything that they wrote. It says they searched diligently, they, they inquired, they puzzled over the things that they even wrote. And these were not ignoramuses, they were not simple men. Though perhaps they didn't have some of the technology that we have today, the accomplishments of the, of the ancient civilizations are still astounding when you consider the laws of mathematics and science that they were able to, to uh, distill from their natural environment. Think, wow, what sort of a genius would be able to, to, to come to these conclusions on their own with nothing, no, no, no uh, mathematical foundation to stand on? They were writing it as they were going. There were brilliant men and women back then, too. Daniel, who served under multiple empires. He must have been an absolutely astounding man. A great intellect. Moses, the lawgiver, trained in the courts of Egypt, understanding so much. And yet he prophesied things that he didn't fully understand. 
the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. You know, there's the, there's the, the two threads of prophecy that wind their way through the Old Testament. The glory to come, but the suffering as well. And I don't think very many of those ancient writers understood how those two threads would intertwine in the God-man, Christ Jesus. There were things that they did not know, but yet still wrote. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the, these things. We want to know because we want to know for ourselves. But it may well be that there are things that we don't understand right now that may come, may be revealed down the road. And we simply need to faithfully pass along those things without fully understanding. And that becomes a test of obedience. Are we willing to obey? You know, there are very few, very few outward symbols in the New Testament. The Old Testament is full of them. And we see how many of those Old Testament symbols are shown in the New, explained in the New. But there was something once in a, in a forum years ago that I remember Brother Paul Weingartner saying. He was talking about the, the head covering of all things. It's one of the few outward symbols that are given in the New Testament. And he said something that I thought was very profound, and I've, I've remembered it ever since. He said, we do not know, yes, there is a scriptural explanation given for the head covering, and it's there. You can read it for yourself. Brother Doug's meditated on it before. He's even written some things, I think, about it as well. But Paul said, uh, Paul Weingartner's brother, Paul Weingartner said something. He said, we, we don't know what the effect of this is. Perhaps there's something more to this even than that. And in by, by simply submitting to the simple instruction of Scripture, there's a benefit and a blessing to us that we don't totally understand. And that really made me pause. Said, yeah. How much is my understanding worth compared to submission to the will of God or obedience to the will of God? Do I really need to have it all understood? I don't like it when my kids ask why a million times, and I feel like I, have, like, I don't, shouldn't have to explain this to you. Just do it. It becomes a point of pride. I think sometimes, too, my understanding of things, does that become a point of pride? Or am I simply willing to submit and say, Lord, I don't understand maybe these things, but I'm willing to do them anyway. I think we do God more honor by having that sort of an attitude than by always asking why. But unto, unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you. So the thing that was hidden in the Old Testament, now revealed in the New, now it makes sense. And now we can say, thank God for those Old Testament prophets that didn't try to inject their own understanding in what they were writing, because they would have messed it up. They would have destroyed something beautiful by not simply humbling themselves and transmitting to us what the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, was saying. There's an element to this, I think, also in the traditions of the church. We don't always understand, but we should not lightly discard some of those things because we may not fully understand them. Be careful. 
especially with something that has proven itself over a long period of time. Be careful what you throw out. You may find out a little too late why that tradition came into being. And if we had kept that, maybe we would have been kept from, a, from, a, from a, a, an error in this area. And we just didn't understand it at the time. So we should be careful. That's not to say that change will not happen in the church. It will. Change is a given. There is always change. How we manage that change is very important. And we should be very careful when we discard things. By them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Do you realize that we're not alone in not understanding everything? You know, we have a turn of phrase in, in the English language you owe me an explanation. When something happens, especially something that was maybe damaging to you, you owe me an explanation. Do you realize that the heavenly beings around the throne of God, even they don't fully understand what's going on? They desire to look into those things, and God says, not yet. I'm not going to show you yet. Here's the blessing in all of this, and for those that would like to know, one day it will all be made plain. One day we will understand. It says we will know even as we are known. I don't know what that means exactly. But it sounds exciting. To be able to know even as I am known. Wow, what must, be, what must that be like? You know, we, we, we guess at things. We, 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 especially when things are happening in real time, we think, well, it may, this may happen or this may happen. You know, sometimes if you were to watch a, a movie or read a book, you try to guess ahead what's, how the story might unfold. And usually the authors say they try to do something where they throw a, a real turn in there, something you didn't see coming. That makes it exciting. That keeps people entertained. And one day, you know, the, 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 the story's going to be made plain. You're going to find out who the villain really is and whatever else however that story plays out. One day we will know. One day that curiosity will be satisfied. But in the meantime, there's something to be done. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. You want to use your mind? The Apostle Peter is going to tell us now how to use it. Be sober. Be clear thinking. Clear thinking also means to recognize what you are and what you are not. To see reality for what it is. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You want to exercise your mind? Look for holiness. Seek for holiness. What's holiness? Very simply, the character of God. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Your entire life. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. There is one who knows everything.
if you want to be like him, if you want to know, be like him. He tells us how. He says, be holy. Become like me and you will be ready then for knowledge. When we go according to our own lusts, you know, I see this pattern in, the, in, the, in that first account in Genesis in the garden. When we, when we look at that forbidden tree, that, no, that tree of knowledge, and desire it, apart from God, we end up harming ourselves. But if we turn to him, become like him, be ye holy, for I am holy, then we will be equipped to properly use whatever knowledge he gives us. And as we become more holy like he is, one day we will know more like he does as well. Now the real blessing. You know, there's a satisfaction solving a difficult problem. When the problem is complete, you can step back from it and go, yeah, that's the solution. That's the best solution. But that satisfaction wears off, doesn't it? Then we start looking for another problem. We start looking for another um, a quest, uh, something else to challenge ourselves. And there I see also the blessing of what is to come in glory. As God is eternal and infinite, there is going to be that, that, that element of that infinite chase, learning more about God, being more and more satisfied with who he is, but always having something more to stretch for, something more to reach for, something new to learn. That, that will be exciting and engaging. And we'll praise him for an eternity because of it. Don't seek for knowledge apart from God. One day knowledge will come and you will understand. But the tragedy is if you seek that knowledge apart from God, you will understand one day, but it will be too late. Then what will you have? You'll know exactly where you went wrong, but it will do you no good. How much better to trust and believe now? To trust even that you will know one day and that it will all make sense one day than to depend on your own feeble understanding, which will let you down. There are going to be things in this life that you will not understand, you cannot understand, and you will never understand. I've realized that about myself, and I'm okay with that. Because one day I will know, even as I am known. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. In Deuteronomy, we read that the hidden things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. This morning, we heard that even the very prophets who wrote the words didn't even understand and yearned to understand. Even the very angels in heaven do not understand all even the things that are written and prophesied, but they look forward to it. Man, especially educated, enlightened man, feels that they are the measure. But yet, the more we know, we should be aware the more we don't know. The very basic uh, when, when you want to illustrate something as a fundamental, predictable thing, 
typically that what you would use is maybe gravity. If I, if I hold this book, which I won't, because it would be disrespectful, and I drop it, we know it's not going to fall up. It's going to fall down, right? But do you know why? Do you understand the exchange of Higgs bosons or gravitational waves? No, because even physicists today, after, you know, many hundreds of years after the supposed falling of the apple on the head of Isaac Newton, still don't quite understand why it falls down. And yet we think we can understand all the mysteries of the universe. We can understand the hidden things, the spiritual realm. Do we think our tin can of a brain can encompass the ocean of God's knowledge and wisdom? That's arrogance. But then what are we left with? If we cannot know, if the very angels of heaven cannot know, what are we left with? We heard this morning that we have promises. Promises made by a father who can and has the character who never lies and is fully capable, who will never be surprised, who cannot be prevented from fulfilling those promises. And so we can have guarantees. Paul said, he said, we see now through a glass darkly, but he also said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has committed unto me against that day. I've committed unto him against that day. We don't understand how, but we can trust who. We can trust the character of God. We can trust the God who is committed to saving those who trust in him. The last verse we read, wisdom's highest, noblest treasure. Jesus lies concealed in thee. Grant that this may still the measure of my will and actions be. Let meekness and holy simplicity rule me in heavenly wisdom, O Lord, let them school me. If truly I only know thee as my Lord, ah, then I have wisdom's most perfect reward. May the Lord bless the word and may we apply it in our lives. That would conclude the service.